0: Welcome to another episode in Osborne Clark's Mobility as a Service podcast series, where we look at various legal and commercial issues in Mobility as a Service or MAS. I'm Mary Claire Smith and today I'm joined by my colleague Mark Sturing, who's a partner in our Cologne office specialising in data protection. Thank you for coming on today, Mark. It's great to have you.
1: Hi, and uh, yeah, well, many thanks for inviting me.
0: Mark is currently working on a European Commission project at the moment uh, with the rest of the Cologne office and this project isn't too dissimilar to the European Commission project, My Corridor, that Osborne Clark worked on here in London, looking at various cross border mobility as a service issues, Um, but Mark's project is specifically looking at ecosystems for sharing transportation data which of course itself comes with a lot of legal and commercial challenges to consider. So Mark is the perfect person to have on today to look at the topic of data protection in mobility as a service. Mark, to kick us off, data is is really a key concern and topic and central to a successful mass system. Obviously, a successful mass platform and mass ecosystem is heavily reliant on access to large amounts of high quality data so as a result of this there's a lot of value attached to this data but one misunderstanding that I've certainly picked up on from my experience working with people in the industry and mobility as a service is to do with data ownership Um, of course with all this value attached to data everybody wants to own this data but what does this actually mean? Can you provide some clarity here, Mark?
1: Um, yes, man, thanks. You're perfectly right. There's actually no real concept uh, of data ownership in European law. And from my experience, this indeed often comes as a surprise for companies or other stakeholders. Uh, European law has isolated areas where there are things that could be seen as some kind of ownership of data for example copyright law or database protections and 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 similar things but um, those are always subject to rather high and at least very specific prerequisites and outside those isolated and rather small areas there is no general concept of ownership of data um especially privacy law also does not provide for such a concept which is often being misunderstood because privacy law refers to the data controller and many companies think this is somehow related to owning the data but in fact it's absolutely not so in doubt no one owns data here in Europe which as a result means that actually having access to or control over data is simply the key the law does not automatically help you there
0: thanks mark another misunderstanding appears to be around what actually constitutes personal data Uh, can you give us some clarity on this please
1: yes it's Indeed, a discussion around amongst experts for decades what actually qualifies as personal data under European privacy law in detail, and we have one landmark decision from 2016. Essentially, a lot of information qualifies as personal data as long as someone is able to link this information somehow to a person. What I see in practice um, when, when advising companies on this is that companies often uh misunderstands the definition here yeah, my impression is that a lot of companies believe that if there's no name somewhere and, and no face in a picture or something like that then it's not personal data but unfortunately the definition of personal data is is, is, is really far-reaching here and a lot of information qualifies as personal data just yeah. to give you an example, maybe um, um, just as an example, um, license plate from a car would obviously be deemed personal data, although driving behind that car, you can't immediately tell who the holder is or location data. If you have a, a GPS track from a car across the city, that would be deemed personal data as well, yeah? although it's not immediately clear who is the person behind this.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Um, I also, obviously, we can, look, we can sometimes explore anonymising data, which, of course, if truly anonymised, would take us outside the scope of the GDPR and, and applicable data protection laws. Um, but can you tell us a bit more about this, please, and how you might go about doing it in practice and, and, and any risks in choosing to anonymise data or where it might be valuable to do so?
1: Yeah, anonymizing data is a very valuable approach because instead of finding a legal basis to process personal data, it takes you out of scope of privacy law. So when advising companies, we often spend more time on discussing how we could anonymize anonymize data rather than uh, how we could find a legal basis for processing the data. Yeah. a lot of data can obviously be anonymized easily especially by aggregating data so if you're just interested in in learning uh, about uh, road congestion yeah you might just need a number how many cars went down that road during the last 15 minutes or so yeah you do not need names from individual drivers and if you have that data nonetheless you could easily anonymize it and aggregate it to just a mere single figure that explains how busy the road is. yeah. So this would be a scenario where anonymizing data works very well. It depends on the input data and, and your purpose, what you want to use with the information. But we have a lot of scenarios where anonymizing data is not so easy because um, you, you either m- misunderstand the far reaching scope of privacy law. yeah. As we've said earlier, just taking names away likely isn't enough in many circumstances or you take more away more information and and thereby then impair the value of the data yeah? so in essence there's a lot of information which is likely be deemed personal data and you can't really anonymize it without impairing its value
0: yes thanks mark i think that's something that definitely needs to be uh taken into account in in the math world uh, when looking at how you can protect and uh, yeah use data um and so yeah it'd be really interesting to get your view being based in germany on um any issues that you see in cross-border mobility as a service in particular so the my corridor pro- project that we've spoken about um focused on cross-border mobility as a service um and obviously Obviously, there are a lot of legal and commercial issues to consider. From your point of view, what are the the key concerns from, from a data perspective?
1: Yeah, let's start with the UK first, maybe. The UK is unfortunately no longer part of the European Union, which might trigger additional limitations when making personal data available to the UK, But to make a long story short, it looks like we will have a decision in the near future from the European uh, Commission, which is essentially going to say that it makes no difference whether you transfer data within Europe or from Europe to the UK, which would be very good news then for EU-UK data transfers. Uh, Breaking crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Within the EU, the challenge is that is that privacy law unfortunately is not completely harmonized the idea behind gdpr was to really have one harmonized and one identical privacy law across europe before gdpr we had different laws in each member states and with gdpr there's no one single directly applicable regulation for every member states which is good news for the harmonized market but unfortunately there there are so many opening clauses in GDPR around 40 or 50 depends on what you define as an opening clause so there are so many opening clauses in GDPR that every member state or almost every member state now enacted their own local law around privacy questions those local laws do not really change fundamental principles but they often um provide for details in certain areas which make life more complicated for cross-border data transfers yeah. for example there are relevant differences in the eu when handling employee data and there are also relevant differences for minimum age for consent
0: i think just just to end uh, this this episode Um, I think something we really should go into is the lawful grounds for processing under the GDPR. So obviously to process personal data we need to be uh, relying on an appropriate lawful ground Um, and sometimes consent might be appropriate but of course that's not the only option is it? Um, Mark can you talk us through, through these lawful grounds and and what might and might not be appropriate in a mobility-as-a-service context?
1: Yes. Uh, as you've said, you need at least one legal basis to be able to process personal data. And from experience, we often see that companies believe that consent is the best way to go then. Yeah, well, okay, let's ask them all for consent. But actually, consent isn't. First of all, consent has pretty high requirements, which are often being overlooked. It needs to be voluntarily given. So you always need an alternative. What to do if someone doesn't grant consent? Consent can be revoked. Yeah. What do you do then? Yeah. Consent must not be coupled with other elements, like you can only use the service if, if you consent. That doesn't work either. Yeah. So there are a lot of downsides around consent, which result in constant maybe being not the best tool to rely upon um a pretty obvious legal basis that is often being overlooked in that context is um contract if you enter into a contract with a so called data subject so the person who whose data you're going to process yeah then you need Sorry, then you are allowed to process that person's data to the extent it is required to fulfill the contract. Uh, So if someone contractually obliges you to do something, (laughs) you are then, of course, allowed to do it. So especially in, in the context which we discuss here, I think that contract might be a very good tool. Another tool is balancing of interest, which essentially is just a mechanism where I... Um, review my interest in processing the data against the data subject's interest in not having the data processed. And often that is a good legal basis as well to process data even outside contractual obligations. However, especially the balancing of interest doesn't work for children, which we discussed earlier. Further on, um, balancing of interest and also not contract Works for so-called special categories of data. So, privacy law has a defined list of information which privacy law considers to be more sensitive. To say so, yeah, that would, for example, be healthcare information or information about uh, me having a, having a disability or something like that. Yeah. And neither balancing of interest nor contract would form a legal basis here. And these are indeed circumstances where we then need to rely upon consent. Mm,
0: Yeah, and I think that's really quite relevant to mobility as a service in some circumstances, actually, because, of course, if you're choosing a mode of transport, you might even directly provide information about perhaps um, physical disabilities or or maybe perhaps disabilities could be inferred through through requests made in relation to those transport modes that you select as a user but also thinking about um, location data so while obviously a mass app needs access to location data to provide some of the services which could be how do you get from a to b but also to track you because one of the benefits of mobility as a service is it can give you live updates so if you're going to miss a connection because of a delay it can it can change that connection for you and help you get from a to b as quickly as possible not all mass apps will do this but this is certainly a concept considered within mobility as a service but of course if you're sort of keeping that much tracking of a user and you can start to understand that a user regularly visits um, a hospital a specific hospital or perhaps a specific religious venue or something like that I guess it's possible to start to aggregate these special categories or sensitive personal data isn't it because you can start to perhaps infer that a user has specific religious views or specific health problems or um, I mean do you see that as sort of a potential problem in mass where you might need to start looking at getting consent to to access data there
1: yeah it's it's definitely a problem if someone explicitly uh, says i have uh, special needs and therefore require this or that or this doesn't work yeah and I, i need something like that that only works on the basis of content then actually those other categories of data, which you've just mentioned, like I could find out uh, what the religious belief is of someone by just looking whether he went to church or something else or so, yeah. That is indeed a very interesting discussion at the moment because on that basis, you could probably derive a lot of knowledge around sensitive data from location data, for example, just as you said, or by traveling to, to hospital or something like that.
0: Thank you, Mark. This has been really interesting. And thank you to everyone for listening today. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As always, if you do have any comments or questions, or would like to feature in this podcast series, please do get in touch with us. Thank you.